we should uh, begin with Mark. Um, good evening, everybody, and thanks for the invitation to participate uh, in tonight's discussion. It's great to speak uh, to young people who are concerned about politics and the world and upon whom uh, really rescuing the world and civilization uh, is going to fall uh, if we're to protect our futures. So I'm looking forward to uh, this discussion and uh, very grateful to have an opportunity to listen as much as to uh, share my own ideas. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Um, Senzo, I can give you a chance to introduce yourself. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm really excited and looking forward to the conversation. Uh, and yeah, that's all for now. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, over to you, Natalie. Hello, everyone. I'm also really excited um, and happy to be here. Um, just, I think you got the introduction from confused. I'm from the climate justice charter movement, not the social justice charter, but yes, very eager to be here and participate. I apologize for that. Um, my mistake, Natalie. And, um, is Tandogazi in the room? I don't see him in my space. I don't think, is he here? Uh, hi, hi, Smini. So, um, it looks like... Tenogazi dropped off, uh, but hopefully she can get back online. I, I saw that she had logged in with the SJ Coalition Twitter account, but I don't see her anymore. However, Tenogazi, if you are in the space um, via your personal Twitter account, please request to be a speaker and yeah, you'll be part of the panel. Thank you. Okay, so um, the first question for this evening I would like to ask to our guests is how would you define civil society and who would you say forms part of that definition? And what are, this, what are some of the constraints that uh, civil society faces in South Africa at the moment? And um, I'd like to start with Senzo, then we'll go to Natalie and then Mark, if that's okay. So that is quite a mindful question to open the discussion. And I think I'm going to try and attempt to respond to the question. But maybe to start, I think is it's important to look at what makes up the country uh, or any, I guess, any society in, in modern society nowadays. And it's made up of three big influencers. Uh, obviously, when I use the word influencer, I'm not talking about social media influencers, but I'm really talking about the three dominant sectors, and that is the political space, which is mainly led by government and political parties. The other sector is, is private sector, made up of businesses in that country. The third is civil society, and I think that's the first recognition we have to make. But obviously in most countries, not just South Africa alone as an exception to this norm, is that civil society tend to take a back seat. It's constantly an afterthought when it comes to um, idea generation, vision building um, um, for that country. So I think that's the first context to think about in terms of where civil society is sitting in South Africa. So in terms of what role then civil society has to play. I think to me there are three roles that I think are really important that civil society can play um, um, in South Africa today and probably even more so today than ever before. The first role that I think civil society plays and continues to play and, play and has played in the past is that of the last mile service delivery in that Obviously, both the state and private sector, there are still communities, there are still geographies that they are not reaching. And that actually a lot of the last mile service delivery continues to be provided by civil society organizations. This is through people being able to identify opportunity, uh, challenges in their community and raising a hand to solving that issue. Whether that is so, uh, uh, repairing leaking pipes, 
or providing food or providing safety homes for vulnerable individuals. So that's one role civil society should continue to play. And it's even more so needed now with many families uh, becoming more vulnerable because of our economic circumstance. The second role for civil society, I will argue, is that it's civil society serves the role of being the groundswell for innovation, um, and innovation for public good, specifically. In that, I certainly hold the view that civil society is best positioned to be the driver of new ways of doing things, new way of testing new approaches into solving the intricable issues that we are dealing with, that are wicked problems, that are too big to see. And I think civil society is best poised for that. The third role, and then I'll pause here and I'll leave for my colleagues to answer the, the remainder of the question, is that civil society's best position to play a role of creating windows of opportunity to drive fundamental change in South Africa, in our country. And the three ways to do that is through generating demand, and that is done through advocacy. The second role is using evidence-based solutions to be put on the table, advocating for those to drive that change. And the third one is continuing to drive and galvanizing political will for the evidence-based solution we would have uh, uh, germinated from our innovation hubs and obviously working with the broader South Africans to drive that uh, public demand for those solutions. And I think for me, all of those three components, they come well together. And I think it's high time that we don't see civil society as the other sector or the afterthought sector, but really as part of the fundamental fabric that makes South Africa today. Thanks um, to the facilitators. I think I'll stop there for now. Thank you so much, um, Senzo, for really highlighting the importance and the role so well there. I'll hand over to Natalie. Um, cool, thank you. Uh, it was very extensive. So yes, I think I agree with most of what was said. Um, yeah, so civil society, I understand also it's obviously all the civilians, um, all, the, all the people within the democracy, right? And I think the most important role then of citizens of a democracy would be to ensure that your democratic government um, withholds their mandate to the people. Um, so yeah, your duty and your role as civil society is to ensure that that mandate is fulfilled. And I certainly think that like within a South African context, um, you know, people are definitely aiming to do that and are working towards doing that. But it's, I think, a problem more on the side of there definitely feels like an alienation between, I think, like the state and the people and civil society. Um, so I guess, you know, the role, once again, if we understand it within this context of this like, sort of like alienation where maybe certain forces of government aren't listening. Um, and, you know, this is shown by what we said about a lot of civil society organizations that are now stepping in and fixing problems of service delivery that should have been fixed by government. Um, and I think also just to challenge that alienation in general and say, well, if you're not going, like if government if, isn't listening, there's obviously an issue. And how do you come to terms with fixing that? Um, and I think people are realizing that. I mean, last year we saw large portions of the population didn't vote in the elections that happened. And I think that's one tool that civil society is using now to actually say, well, you know, we're going to challenge the government that isn't fulfilling its mandate and that isn't even listening to citizens who are protesting that government isn't fulfilling their mandate. Um, yes. Thanks, Natalie. And um, over to Mark. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I agree with uh, Senzo and Natalie. Um, I would just add that, you know, I'm not personally always that keen on this term civil society because it can be very vague. Uh, but for me, what it, it, it really means is active citizens uh, who are organized one way or another, uh, organized in NGOs, organized in social movements, organized in communities, and sometimes just uh, active citizens who try to make a difference uh, on, on their own. Um, but But I think... I mean, I always distinguish certainly the part of civil society that I uh, 
believe I come from and that I represent, um, you know, is part of civil society that is is pro-poor, uh, pro-planet, uh, pro-feminist, pro-equality, and and we have to say, in the light of what's going on in the world today, pro-peace as well. Um, and I think we do have to say that because, you know, there are parts of civil society, if our definition is active and organized citizens, there are parts of civil society that organize, I think, around conservative and, and, and dangerous agendas. Um, you know, I think at the moment, for example, of the dangers of Operation Dudula, so-called. It's using many of the same methods that we use in civil society, but it's using it to sow hate and division and, and xenophobia. Uh, and that's certainly not something that I would subscribe to as, as, as civil society. So, so I do think we need to zoom in a little bit on the values and what we stand for and what we're talking about. Uh, when, when we talk about this uh, th th this animal, and the last thing that I would just say is that you know Senzo said, uh, you know, there's the political sphere. I, I think civil society is inherently political. Um, it's not party political uh, at all. Um, but all of the issues that we are addressing, whether it's our marginalization, whether it's filling the gaps left by government, whether it's how government spends and where it spends its resources, are ultimately political questions. And, you know, more and more I've come to the conviction that civil society, in all of its di wonderful diversity, and there are, you know, there are tens and tens of thousands of civil society organizations has to think of itself as a power, as a political power and a power for good and a, and a power for change. Because, you know, I've been involved in civil society for, for 30 years and looking at back at a lot of what has happened in, in the last 25 or 30 years and even before that, because by the way, civil society goes back centuries. But many of the positive, progressive changes that have come about uh, in the last 20 years, if you trace them back, you will find that they start in a civil society campaign or a civil society uh, uh, organization. Um, so, yeah, that's th th those are my thoughts just to add to uh, what's been thrown into the pot so far. Thanks. Thank you to each and every one of you. Um, you've shared profound points that I am mulling over right now. I see that in the space we have um, com fellow comrades, I've referred to them as fellow comrades, who are also um, part of the civil society doing amazing work. I encourage you to please request to speak, to share your thoughts. But not only, um, you know, comrades that I'm recognizing the space, just anyone in the space, please feel free to request to speak, to comment on what our panelists um, have said and will be saying in the course of our conversation, and also to pose questions to everyone in the space. Lastly, uh, before I hand the mic over to Swanis, I really encourage us to tweet, um, use the hashtag, so what, invite friends, colleagues to this space so they can also contribute to this conversation. Spani, so over to you. Thanks. <clears throat> Thanks, Letiwe. Um, uh, my second question would be kind of segueing from what uh, Mark had just uh, highlight, highlighted, the importance of um, like civil society interventions and most of the big changes that have happened throughout history have been influenced by a civil society group one way or the other. Um, I'd like to ask, what are some of the key um, methods of going about um, advocating for change and getting getting the government to cooperate? Um, I'd like to ask Mark this, and then over to Natalie and then Senzo.
I was unable to hear um, when you so clearly in terms of who can answer the question first, but. Um, um, I, I I don't know if my mic was um, glitching there, but I, I just said, um, yeah, I'd like to ask that question to Mark and then over to Natalie and then Senzo. If I understood you, the, the question was, what are the, the key methods that, that civil society uses to organize it? Did I understand that right? Yeah, yeah correct. Yeah, look, but before I get to the methods, you know, I, I would say two things that, that I've kind of learned. Civil society has to have a big imagination. Uh, uh, it has to... Uh, um, dream big and and think outside of the world as we we live it because the world that the, as we live it at the moment just tells us what we can't do and why everything that we find so problematic is the order of things it, it it's not the order of things and so you have to to imagine and you have to work in a way that captures people's imagination. You know, I, I always think that we're trying to reach out to people. We're trying to persuade people who, you know, are like us, but are still feeling disempowered and, and, and passive and persuading people that, you know, as citizens, you actually have a power. And if you use that power, you can change your community, you can change your school, you can change your university, you can change your, your, your world. Um, uh, and that's the rule. That's the law, <laughs> I believe. Uh, and, and the second thing I would just mention is, and, and it links to this, is, is you, what we would call utopian thinking. Again, Think outside of the of, of the constraints that we that, that 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 we live in. Imagine a different type of society, and then work out the pathways to getting to that different type of society. Because the society that we're all living in now is careening down a road to disaster. I mean, for for millions and millions of people in our country, like the twelve million people who are hungry. Today, it already is a disaster. Like the kids who, who don't have early childhood development, it already is a disaster. But the disaster is, is widening and spreading. Those are the starting points. And then from those starting points, well, you know, there's a big toolbox. There's media, there's protest, there's litigation, there's advocacy, there's teaching each other. Uh, uh, and, and there's the combination of all of those things that you use when you embark on a particular campaign to try to bring about a reform or an improvement. I'll, I'll stop there. Enjoy that um, answer, um, Natalie. Um, yes, so I think like on a personal level um, with my experience, in you know my my very short limited experience working with civil society organizations and organizing in general, um, I think one of the biggest and obviously I've yeah, I'm in a I guess a different generation. Um, like with my personal experience with the people that I engage with, um, I think one of our biggest tools definitely comes from a sense of I guess unity, but also like community across different like ideas and ideologies about you know, what we believe is, is just. So, um, you know, as examples, we had in, in 2020 and, you know, following years after that, even back, I think in 2016, um, at Pretoria Girls High School, when there were the girls that were striking about the, um, you know, the racist rules that were still present at the school, um, there was a resurgence of that again in 2020 with people, you know, students that were like in matric in grade 11 uh, across South Africa who were talking to each other um, you know, across the country and they were speaking about their experiences and they said, hey, well, you know, this is a problem that's happening in all of our schools. We should do something about it. And 
because it wasn't just an instance that was happening at one school in an isolated situation, because it was happening in multiple locations, there was a lot more, I guess, mobilization and action that came from it. Um, and even now, I'm working with uh, the students. I'm at the University of Pretoria. There are students at the University um, of Cape Town and Stelis and Witz at University of Johannesburg. And we're all working on the same campaign in terms of climate justice to get our universities to endorse the Climate Justice Charter. And so there's an element of, you know, we're all in this together and we all believe that this is what we should be doing. Um, and I think that that's really important because, again, it means that more people want to join that, that movement because you're reaching a wider audience, but also people view it and they see that it is a community. You know, it's not just something that's trying to happen. You When you have these, um, you know, mass actions, mass campaigns, it is, again, built around a sense of, of community, essentially. And I think that that also means that, you know, the structures and the policy or the, the policy makers that you're trying to influence see that and they understand that it's important to take that into account. So I think definitely like a sense of community is probably one of the biggest tools um, that civil society has. Yeah, thanks for that, Natalie. Um, and I'm really glad that you actually touched on the protest in was it 2018 um, at Pretoria Girls School because we know that within the civil society sector, um, youth organizations play a very integral part. So my next question is um, uh, based on that, the fact that the majority of the population in this country is made up of young people. Um, Tessa Dooms, actually Youth Lab's MD, uh, she's a youth development specialist. She says, you know, when the majority of the population is young, all of the issues become youth issues. But oftentimes young people um, are left behind. They are not consistently represented. What would you say, and I'm going to start with you, Natalie, what would you say is the role that youth advocacy in particular and mobilization could play in demanding better outcomes in education, um, employment, and I think just holistically? So I'm going to start with you, um, Natalie, and then we'll go to Senzo, and then we can uh, wrap up with Marks if you have uh, a contribution. Okay, um, thank you. So I think, um, you know, this question comes up quite a lot. And, you know, one of the things that is most um, often said is, um, oh, well, you know, the youth are the leaders of the future or something. And I mean, that's a very valid point. Like we do, obviously, we are going to be the people who are in, going to be um, in governmental positions and et cetera in a few years time. But I mean, I think right now, it's important to recognize that youth are also just part of the society, not because we're going to be in important positions in the future, but because we're citizens of the country now. Um, and a lot of the things, I mean, everything that happens within the country influences the youth as well, um, in the same way it influences everyone else. Um, and then in terms of like specifically looking at different things, it's important also to understand, I guess, that because you're from a younger generation, the difference may come in where you, obviously like different generations will have experienced different things that give different generations, different perspectives on different issues um, and different ways of dealing with different problems. So I think, you know, my generation now, obviously we've experienced uh, South African history in a very different way from uh, older generations. Um, and I think certainly, I guess it gives us the tool to look at it from the point of view of, okay, well, we're here now and this is what South Africa was supposed to look like at this point but it's not here and we should be ever more critical of the fact that we don't have, um, you know, we have mass inequality and we have all these problems that need to be solved. And on specifically looking at issues like education, I mean, that's something that does directly affect the youth because those are the people obviously who are actively mostly engaging with education um, from all levels. Um, so, you know, the people who understand, first of all, what needs to change there, what, because, they see what problems arise there. And then also, you know, creative ways or, you know, more nuanced, I guess, understandings of how to create that change and what the solutions should look like and then being critical of those solutions when they're supposed to come into place. And yes, I think, you know, the youth are vitally important in that sense. It's the same sense that every other, I guess, age group is, but also specifically because we have the different perspective. Um, yes. 
Thanks for that, Natalie. Um, Senzo, we can go straight to you. And then Mark it after that. Awesome. Thanks. I, I, I think, and again, so one of my struggles when I have to answer questions so direct, like role of young people is obviously young people are not a homogeneous group. They play different roles. We, are quite, we have different identities and different aspirations. But I certainly think, just based on my own reflection, I'm also a young person, I'd like to believe, is that if you look throughout history, the game changes. People who actually ch- change course for societies, for economies, for narratives of many communities, we're largely young people if we use our age of up to 35. We're largely driven by young people. So I think one of the roles us as young people can play in this work is one, holding a sense of possibility and holding a sense of imminent possibility. I think in a country like South Africa, where there's so much sense of of, of losing of hope, um, and I think also losing the culture of empathy and love as, as, as a radical fundamental values that we hold that bind us together as humans, then so what? Why does all of this matter that we do? So I think that's very important for young people to be able to do, mainly because there's so much adversity young people are facing in this country. That will be my first point. The second point is obviously while holding the sense of imminent possibility, holding the sense of creating hope and possibility and all of it, is that we must also hold the long-term game in that we must be able as young leaders, as young citizens in our own spaces, that change is going to come. Not that I'm directly quoting Sam Cook, but we must be able to hold the long-term game vision of around what it takes to shift systems, to shift trajectories. So, for example, events like FISMA's fall and others that occurred after, is those were one main event, but they were a culmination of events that could be traced back to 20 years earlier that I really thought, to me, to my mind, is, is what it's all about. So I think my point and my, my argument for young people, or the ask of us as young people, is that we must be in the game that is best described by, I think it's Edward, um, um, from his work in 1963. He talks about the butterfly effect, for those who know. But simply put, butterfly effect is a metaphor that tries to explain or appreciate uh, chaos theory in, in simple terms. And what that means is that what they, the way they put it in that metaphor is that the question, the curiosity behind it is how is it possible that butterflies in Brazil can flap their wings and weeks later cause tornado in Texas. Uh, obviously, logically, that is almost impossible to imagine butterflies causing a tornado in, te- in Texas from Brazil. But what that is about is that continuous effort of literally fighting, of literally putting effort and resources to what a specific outcome. And the only difference, though, is obviously what that principle is about, is about direction. It's about orbiting towards a true north. And I think as a country, as young people who still have a much longer mileage, I hope, in this life and on earth, is that we must not then be obsessed with already made solutions. We must be open and be driven by curiosity in around how we tackle this country. I will argue that for us to shift the dynamics for the country, it does not need one to be a CEO of a company, does not need one to be a member of parliament, does not need one to be in any role. I think in, in our small spaces, we can be able to create that butterfly effect that's 10, 20 years down the line young people of that generation will look back and be like, ooh, we can trace back how today's actions were influenced by this conversation we're even having today. So those are the two points I think I'll add on the table that I think it's something to think about and reflect on and how obviously we build uh, back together from all of the adversities of mainly caused by COVID-19, but most of them, I'll argue, predate these past two years. Thank you. Mark, you may um, share your thoughts if you have anything to add to what's been said. Thanks, yeah. Maybe I sadly bring the perspective of a, of a slightly older person. Uh, um, but, you know, 
I, I think youth, young people are, are crucial to the change that we need in this, in this world. As Senso said, you know, change, rupture, uh, rejection of, of, of failing old orders has always come from, from, from young people. Students have often been central to it, uh, whether it was, you know, in 1976, uh, here in South Africa, whether it was in 1968 in France uh, and the revolutions that started there, whether it was, you know, the, the way young people were beginning to uh, dominate the world again before COVID cut across it around the, the climate crisis uh, uh, issue. You know, young people were beginning to set the agenda, I felt, uh, you know, I, I spent some wonderful time with with young people from uh, Fridays for the Future uh, in Italy, you know, who are leading tens and tens of thousands of school students. But then COVID-19 cut across that movement for a while. And, and, and now the war is cutting across that that movement as well. But, you know, I, I, politics, unfortunately, is dominated by older people. And that has got to change. Uh, uh, and we're talking this evening about civil society. You know, I, I, I feel that, that that's a problem also with civil society, that there needs to be much more youth, not just youth as part of civil society organizations, but youth as leaders of civil society uh, uh, organizations and leaders of political organizations, whether it's trade unions, whatever the, the shape must be, there needs to be more visibility uh, around setting the, the, the agenda. And I think it, you know, it fall, falls upon uh, civil society activists who've been around uh, for, for many years um, doing this work to make sure that we enter into intergenerational dialogues not that we lead, but that we share, uh, uh, that we get behind uh, people uh, in new movements, that we, that, that, so that new movements don't have to repeat the mistakes uh, of the past, but at the same time can benefit from the successes and the learnings and the insights that we may have picked up uh, along the way. But I guess that's just a long way of saying that, that, that you know, as Natalie said and Senzo both said, uh, change springs from young people in music, in literature, in politics, in life, in everything. Problem is, you just need to look at the the, the leaders of of most of our countries. They're all old people, and that's probably, I put it crudely, why we're in such a, a difficult situation. Thank you all for your responses. Um, Rez, I hope I'm saying your name correctly. Thank you for your patience. I know you requested to be a speaker a couple of minutes ago. I'm going to hand the mic over to you. Um, but before you unmute and either comment or ask a question, I acknowledge that Corruption Watch is in the space. Welcome. Um, as well as to everyone who's just walked into the space um, and has joined us as we have the conversation about the role of civil society. Please, if you'd like to speak once again, do request to speak. Um, if you'd like to add your thoughts, corruption, um, watch, please do request to be a speaker. Raz, over to you. Uh, yeah, guys, greetings, everyone. Am I audible? Yes, you are. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um. So, guys, I'm like a bit of a radical, and it gets me into trouble with NGOs, and it gets me into trouble, you know, with leads and people, due to my views. So, I've read Gramsci, and then Gramsci basically explains that uh, you have your traditional uh, intellectuals, and then you also have your what's the word, um, your organic intellectuals and how your traditional intellectuals are, you know, like products of the system and then 
how you how the organic intellectuals are basically produced by the grassroots and the struggles of the marginalized oppressed uh, subaltern identities as uh, Gramsci Antonio Gramsci uh, wrote in his prison notes uh, Gramsci was a marxist marxist thinker now in in uh, community development practitioner uh, education that will teach you about the different theories of community development and how it came about you know how the dependency theory came about how after world war 2 how europe had to be um built again and how america you know borrowed money and how dependency came about and then we also have uh, the bretton woods institutions which is the imf and the world bank and how they created like structural adjustment programs in africa but what my point that i want to get to is that you have an organic civil society and then you have neoliberal uh, traditional civil society because uh, we find that we are not engaging in a critical con- critical conversation about what you know um neoliberalism is you know archi mafeje who is one of our greatest um anthropologists uh, here in south africa was not really in- ideologically inclined he believed in theory you know and 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 he also wrote that you know sometimes that you will get that you you have liberals and intellectual opportunists that that intercept you know the 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 space and and now my issue is i'm in civil society i'm in civil society organizations i'm currently in the national youth resilience initiative as an ambassador I was in activate all three programs you know i did yali in 20 so i've 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 i've, I've spent the last 10 years in the civil society youth empowerment spaces experiencing it doing experimental research within it so we are not as as and and then i did some timali african political economy today prof gumede at the university of mpumalanga also spoke spoke about the developmental state you know and and what what a developmental state is and how we need to industrialize and how the bretton woods structural adjustment programs created under development in africa and how you know we had to do away with uh so free services and and to create profit you know profit based serve and all of that and we understand that you know we can't have a a a welfare state permanently but now we are reduced to a i, I don't want to say a banana a banana republic but you know there's so many forces at play in our society uh, and we're not speaking about developmental issues we're not speaking about industrializing uh, the african economy you know we're still importing everything from china indonesia uh, you know uh, yeah these these the eastern tigers and all of that so i'm taking it to that level of 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 conceptual uh, understanding i also wrote like a thousand word essay which i published on linkedin and on medium in everything today i also you know i some of my leads here and my fellow comrades probably saw the tags that I did on Twitter but yeah so that's my input man I think I I want to thank uh, Mr Haywood uh for clearing the issue all about Tudula you know because that's a, it's a civil society movement you know gangs are also civil society churches are civil society the unions are civil society you know I don't know if you can say the fourth estate which is the media is really civil society because here in South Africa we had an issue with 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 You know internationally radicals will always tell you in the global south how they are you know uh, against the sentiments of George Soros and 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 and, and that type of uh, antifa movements etc but that, that like i said it's 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 a theoretical engagement guys and i don't want to upset people or you know i respect right. the groundwork and the motives and the normative agendas that we all push as ngo leads uh, but i want yeah, us to yeah. just be critical about neoliberalism and right. which is traditional civil society and the organic civil society which is a socialist pan african afrocentric approach against yeah. the western hegemony being pushed by the grand funded ngos that constantly have to be incentivized you get what i'm saying so now we 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 are employees so much, and now we are fighting for grants and it's tough like, guys but i've i've it's deep so. it's a phd in its own thank you So thank you so much I appreciate your reflections um and I'm glad you were able to connect some of the points you made with what Mark said about understanding what civil society is what it means particularly in South Africa um I acknowledge you Tessa I'm going to ask you to unmute yourself and then 
I'm going to hand the mic over to you, Supergazi, after Tessa. Tessa? Um, can I hand the mic to Supergazi first? Um, I think she entered in before I did. Um, All right. Thanks, Tessa. Supergazi? Uh, good, good evening, everyone. Um, I was actually just uh, browsing through and I came across this and I thought it was very interesting. I haven't been listening for, listening for a while. Uh, but ho however, I've always had um, issues with uh, the way uh, the civil society is being, um, uh, you know, portrayed. Because, uh, uh, yes, as civil society, we all have... Um, you know, a role to play in building up uh, ourselves and building up our communities, building up our country. Uh, but I feel like um, where the civil society is concerned, um, you know, everything is so politicized. Like it's all it's all politically related. You know, um, there are no no one. I don't see anyone talking about uh, building uh, people as a people. You know. Um, there are no initiatives that seek to communicate with people directly as far as, uh, you know, helping them out. Um, what I really see as a big need in our societies is, um, is a, a, sh a shift in our mindset. Uh, everything that we have been conditioned to believe, I mean, the, the, I entered when a gentleman was speaking about uh, the youth, that the youth, you know, must take. Uh, precedence, the youth must lead. I understand that the youth must lead, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, how do this youth lead when they have challenged, ground challenges of their own that they are focusing on on a daily basis? You know, no one is talking to, to the youth about building themselves up and building their mindsets up. You know, they're criticized, um, they are you know, ostracized, you know, everything is just so negative. You know, we need our mindset, especially our, our societies. I mean, for example, you know, with the whole corruption, uh, you know, thing that's happening around South Africa, you know, everywhere there's corruption. You've got the youth believing that, you know, the only way to succeed, you know, on their own is to get corrupt, you know, in some way, that the only way for them to succeed is that they, they win tenders, you know. Everybody wants a tender, but then only one person gets the tender. The tender, you know, so no one is, is, is people are talking about, uh, you know, the opportunities that the youth can create for themselves, not not that are not linked to anybody. You know, you've got memes going around that, you know, you have to know. You know, those are, 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 are the mindsets that we're building currently in South Africa. I mean, you know, in, even if it's like all over Africa or whatever, but who is having those conversations to build up the individual person? So that that individual person is able to say, okay, I'm strong enough to lead. And then you've got people who are singing, you know, the same tune as far as how we are moving as a society, how we are moving as a country. We are so comfortable in being given things, you know. I must get it. I must get this for free. But no one is talking about how about we come together as a community to build something that will benefit us all you know it's only just one man for himself you know kind of situation so you know i feel like as a civil society we need to play an active role uh, we, ha we 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 don't have i mean in south africa we don't have like a you know like a patriotic spirit we we are not active citizens you know in anything that we do we do you know especially when it comes to the negative things you know when 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 there's a, a toy toy somewhere like a, you know everybody just wants to join in join in and disrupt and, and it's all chaotic. You know, when there's positive things happening around or if anyone is starting, you know, a conversation or maybe asking the right question, no one wants to be involved because for some reason you don't want to be associated um, with someone asking the right questions because you don't want to, you know, we've got the whole snitch mentality, you know, you don't want to be the snitch. You don't want to look like, you know, you're the person who's trying to do the good or trying to fix anything. Therefore, if we don't take active citizenship and we, we, we sit in the background and say, okay, I can't fix this. I know so-and-so is going to fix it for me, you know? We're not stepping up to things like that. We're not questioning things. We're letting people telling us, uh, you know, this is how you must live your life and this is what you must do and these are the resources that are available to you. We're not asking questions. We're not 
we're not being active to say no, but then this is not what we want, this is what we want. And we're not coming together as a society also in that sense to say, but as a society, this is not what we want, this is what we want. And we can even actually come together and do exactly that it is that we want. So sure. I think we, we, we should, other things are simple in that way that they don't have to be politically related, you know, uh, we don't have to be talking about liberalism or socialism or whateverism. We just have to look mm-hmm. at, you know, at, 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 at who we are as people and say, okay, we are a certain kind of people. What is it that we want, you know, as these people? What are our needs? What is it that we need to do? And how do we do these things for ourselves? We really don't right. have to be relying on government or, 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 or anything. You know, sometimes simple things as fixing a road, for example, if you live in a community and there's a road that needs to be fixed, I think that if we were active citizens, you know, we would come together and say, okay, we drive on this road on a daily basis and our cars are getting messed up. You know, how about we put our resources together and see how we can fix this road? You know, you don't right. have to wait for years and years, you know, for the government or the municipality. We know they're not going to do that, you know, but I think that we need to fix our mindset. That is where everything uh, ends and every uh, where everything begins and everything ends. So that's my so ten million dollar opinion. Thank you so <laughs> Thank much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your opinion. Um, I'm going to ask, in the interest of time, if we can keep our comments uh, questions to one minute. We are about to get to nine o'clock. Um, so I, I really would like us to give as many people a chance to speak, but also not go to over like over the time that we have planned for this conversation. Tess, I'm going to hand the mic over to you. And then after you, Tess, I'm going to ask Mark and Senzo to respond particularly to what Sipogazi shared briefly. Over to you, Tessa. Thanks. Um, I will keep it short. I want to make three um, short interventions. One is just to um, reinforce what Mark said and um, respond a bit to what Sipogazi said about young people leading and this intergenerational, what I call co-leadership that we need to create. And I think one of the fundamental things is answering that question that Sipokazi raises about when young people are struggling, um, you know, just to make their own lives work, are being, you know, told they're not employable, um, you know, opportunities are not being created. There's so many things that young people are going against. You know, we can say asking young people to lead or expecting young people to lead under those conditions doesn't make sense because young people are struggling to lead their own lives. How will they lead society? For me, the answer lies in what Mark said about co-leadership. And I think um, I've said in many platforms uh, many times that I, um, as somebody who's no longer youth, um, somebody who's not under the age of 35, and the majority of the people in this country are, we need to remember that 65% of this country is below the age of 35. So the idea that those people must lead is not um, just one that we have for, for, you know, our own entertainment. It's because representation matters and the majority of the country deserves the opportunity to lead the rest of the country um, in terms of how we understand politics and representation. And so it's, our, it's incumbent on us who are older to, number one, share of our, our, our wisdom, our resources, um, even sometimes of our mistakes um, that we haven't gotten wisdom from um, in order to um, give space to young people to lead and to make sure they don't make the mistakes that we made. Um, but the, the underlying idea is about um, us creating space for young people to lead, sharing our resources, sharing our social capital um, so that we enable youth leadership because um, as Fanon says, every generation has something to offer and young people of this time in this country have something to offer and it's our job to give them the space to do that. The last point I want to make is, is a ransomable society and the question about resources that was raised by somebody else a little earlier whose name I didn't get. And I think we do need to have tough conversations about resources in this country and particularly in civil society spaces and political spaces. Um, the power of um, resources to shape agendas and to shape decision-making, political decision-making, social decision-making, economic decision-making in a country that's the most unequal in the world must be interrogated. If, we, if, if only people with um, means to be able to support um, NGOs and to support 
um, any kind of, of work are the ones with voices, then we're only going to continue to replicate inequality. Um, and we must start to think about a few things. One, how we democratize um, the contributions, the financial contributions that support our work and start getting, getting you know, funding from um, a wide range of places and funding from below and having people buy into financially the kind of work that we need to do. I think we need to think creatively about that. Otherwise, we give way too much power to way, few, to, to way too few people um, in civil society. Thanks. Thank you so much, Tessa. Um, Mark and Senzo, can I ask you to briefly respond to what both Sipogazi and what Tessa have said? Um, can I also ask everyone to allow us to go over time a bit, maybe by like 15 minutes, just a, an additional 15 minutes is what I ask, um, because we have other speakers who've requested to speak and would like their voices to also be heard this evening. So Mark and Senzo, if you could respond to what Sipogazi and Tessa have said, and then I'm going to ask Alan to contribute his thoughts after Mark and Senzo have commented. Senzo, I'll start with you. Sure, thanks. And again, I really appreciate having had this conversation today. Um, this is way past my bedtime, but you guys have kept me awake. <laughs> Um, maybe just to reflect on, I think, not just Spogazi and Tess, even the gentleman who spoke earlier, the activator that spoke earlier, I really found the contributions to be really useful because I think what the contributors made me realize is that obviously all of us, we have, our very, we have different strong core beliefs around how change will occur in this country. And what I'm appreciating from what Tess is talking about, from what Spogaz is talking about, and the gentleman who spoke earlier, is really that there are so many possible avenues we can take to achieve the change we want to see in our lifetime. Whether that is through a radical change in who occupies position of power by age, but I think to me, that question, and to Tess's point, it's at the heart of redefining terms of recognition in South Africa. In that, one of the things I hold dear to my understanding and to my heart is that one of the things that colonization, apartheid, and many forms of oppression across the globe is what it tries to do is make people invincible. It's make people to be unseen and unheard. And that all of our work, at least in South Africa, since post-1994, has been putting face on faceless people, voice on voiceless people, and identity on people that are not seen, that we are purely reduced to numbers in terms of stats, reducing them to figures that are overall, but really missing the human story to it. And I think at the heart of it all for me, and I guess this is my contribution at the end, is that we must never forget to put people first at the center of our development. And in so doing, really start thinking around how we redefine terms of recognition, whether we're talking about issues of race, of class, of gender, of sex, of roles, of, of religion. Those are the things I think we need to fundamentally talk about because the systems we really talk about, they are an expression of what we are trying to tackle. And unless we start dealing with our internal work, because at the end, what I hold and I, I, I truly believe in is that the quality of the interventions that we all are trying to do to intervene in society is a reflection of the quality of the internal of, of the internal capacity of the intervener themselves. And that is a lot of that work we ourselves have to do. And I think that's where I would leave it and really ask all of us not to lose hope, not to give up on love, not to give up on empathy um, as, as radical tools that we have on our quiver to fight whatever form of oppression or depression that we are dealing with as a people. That's all there is from me. And thank you so much, Letiwe and the team, for having me in the space. Thank you so much, Senzo. Um, Mark, your thoughts to what yeah. Tessa and uh, Spogaz have shared? Yeah, sure. Just picking up from Senzo, I mean, and emphasizing love and empathy. You know, if effective civil society must never 
forget that working for change comes from uh, love, love of life, uh, understanding that we're all equal. So the pain that somebody else that you witness in somebody else could equally be your pain. Uh, I think that's so crucial because we're being numbed, those of us who have some privilege to other people's pain. We're being normalized to abnormal things like people having to beg on every corner of our streets and the idea that recycling and digging through rubbish is a normal economic activity and, and the levels of homelessness, it's all abnormal and it's all unnecessary because society has the resources to prevent that type of type of thing. So, so I do think a lot of the fight back has to come from a place of, of love. I just wanted to, to, to say that. You know, Sipokazi, I, I, I understand what, what you're saying and, and, and I agree with it for a large part. Um, you know, when you say that we must build up the individual person, I think that's so crucial. And that's what I think all of civil society should be aiming to do. You know, civil society organizations get it wrong when they think that they are the solution, that they can, they can fix the problem. I, I believe that all civil society organizations should spend much more time in communities, transferring power, transferring knowledge, uh, just just working in communities to inspire people with self-belief and a sense of their own power. But I think, Sipokazi, a lot of people do try to do that. Uh, there's a lot of that going on, if you, if you look. Not enough, by any means. But, you know, to this morning, today I was at a place called the Makers Valley Partnership in, in uh, Lorenzville, Bertram's inner city, Johannesburg. Very, very poor area. You know, and I, and I saw people working in a, in a food kitchen, a people's pantry. I saw young people working with very small children uh, who don't go to school. Um, you know, it was very inspiring. And I saw those kids being offered an environment that they wouldn't get in their, in their homes, you know, and, and being offered food. Um, and, and, and we need more of that. We need that everywhere. But, but you know, where I would say to you, you perhaps miss the connection with politics is that I also have to ask the question, why are so many people hungry in that community? You know, wh why, are, why, why are children denied a quality education? And that's where you, you, you have to walk a, a bridge to politics, uh, uh, to the way our societies are run and what gets prioritized in our society. Now, my response to you is, if you focus only on politics and forget about people, you'll get it wrong. Uh, but if you understand people, it will take you to addressing the politics as well. Because I think we all want to change the, the evils that we encounter. We don't want to just be there putting plasters on the problem for, 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 for forever. So, so that, you know, that's what I, I, I would say to you. And then I agree with everything Tess said, but I just want to pick up what Tessa said, but one, on one particular thing, because it's something I've thought about a lot through working in, 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 you know, what I think it was Russ talked about, you know, these, these big funded uh, NGOs, which is that there's a big problem with the funding model of civil society, um, a big problem. It's a huge constraint uh, in many ways. And it's a contradiction because you get funded by people and institutions that have benefited from the inequalities. And much as they may have humanitarian and instincts and want to give back, when it comes to the crunch and the big change that has to take place, the revolution, frankly, that has to take place, they will be against it. And I always say to some of my closer comrades that, you know, the fact that poor people don't fund civil society is a vote of no confidence in civil society. Because when poor people, or not just fund, but 
give resources and so on. Poor people believe in gods and they give money at church. Uh, uh, um, when our revolution in South Africa woke up again in 1973 and the trade union started to be rebuilt, it was the poorest workers who paid money to their trade unions because they believed that their trade unions would improve their lives. If people believed that civil society was going to effect big change, then they would support it financially. Now, we can't turn all our dependence into a different direction. We have to find, you know, we have to mix and match. But we also have to, to recognize that change, finding resources from elsewhere, it's not a, in inverted commas, funding question. It's an advocacy right. question. It's a believability question it, it's it's a change question it should be part of our our campaigns thanks thank you so much mark um i'm gonna ask ellen if you could pose your comment or question keeping it to one minute as well as you and i know we received a number of um requests and i see your hand Supergazi, but time unfortunately is not on our side can i ask those that have requested to speak and I've not had the chance to do so. If you could kindly tweet, and we will retweet your thoughts. Um, you might need to actually have a part two um, to this discussion. So do tweet, and we'll take note of what um, what you'd like to add to this conversation. But for now, I'm just going to ask Alan if you could share your thoughts, keeping it to a minute, and then you and Clint up before we wrap up. Alan. Thank you. Um, I suppose my reflection is, is around one of Mark's opening statements around imagination and linked to that what the role of civil society in South Africa should be. It really is about imagining a different world and being able to show people that it's possible to reach that. So I think a major role for civil society is to break the shackles of civil society and the way we think about the world and to build some new vision for people to anchor themselves onto and then to do the work of showing people that it's really possible that they themselves can make that change. I think that our failing largely over the last 20 years has been one, a failure to build that grand vision and two, a failure to recognize that agency and power sits within communities. We've become very, very focused on the machine and its levers, policy and law, and we've forgotten that power exists in the streets and in the homes that people occupy every day. And so I think that if there's any role for, for civil society in South Africa at this moment in time, it's to help our communities rediscover their power. Thank you. Thank you so much for that um, comment. Really appreciate it, Alan. Glantla? Uh, thanks, Letio, and greetings to all the folks. Um, so mine is uh, slightly about just flipping the question in terms of what we should be doing as a society. And I'm glad that Ellen actually touched on what I wanted to say, but I'll try not to repeat that. So, um, you know, uh, I strongly believe that as a civil society, we're actually missing something. And I think um, Mark mentioned it, that there's a vote of no confidence in the work that you are doing. And I believe that we strongly need to safeguard the space and the role that civil society is playing. Uh, for example, just to give a quick few examples, we have seen how uh, civil society space has been squeezed, uh, squeezed in the sense that statements that are being made by politicians or people who are in leadership positions, you know, condemning uh, protest actions or condemning uh, court actions that are actually be ta uh, uh, being taken by civil society. And we discover that in that sense, they're actually fueling, uh, you know, the resentment on uh, civil society activists, we've seen some civil society activists that have been arrested in their different communities, whether it's mining affected communities. We've seen people that have also been killed, like at Kolobeni, we're talking about Bazuga, we're talking about Mamfigile uh, from KZN. Uh, and uh, one thing that we, you know, and I do understand that uh, organizations within I mean, civil society have different sets of. Uh, resources uh, to to defend themselves and coming from greenpeace um i would say that you know 
uh, one of the bigger organizations is that, you know, for example, when you are hit with slap suits, um, those organizations that can easily defend themselves against uh, such actions. But what about the grassroots organizations that are the, the most affected? You know, when they're fighting for their rights in their communities, they get arrested. And uh, in most cases, you find that it's youth who are actually standing up, asking for jobs in uh, main, uh, maybe uh, the mining <coughs> sector. Uh, because of the way that they're being marginalized uh, for different reasons that I don't want to really go into. But, uh, and, you know, being arrested and having these criminal records that does not give them an opportunity to actually move forward. So basically what I'm saying is that as a civil society, what we need to also understand is the external threats that are being forced on civil society spaces and how we should be defending them. And we shouldn't be saying that, oh, it's happening against uh, right to know, for example, we've seen in the in the Zondo Commission, as well as uh, different media reports that have been released, that they've been spied on by the state security agency. But as civil society, what are we doing to defend that space? And I would like to re-emphasize the fact that we need to, uh, as civil society, irrespective of or, or, of whether you are an environmental organization or whether you're an organization that's, I mean, that's looking at LGBT rights, etc., that there should be a common stand or stand stance that we actually take in defending what we're doing. Because uh, I don't want to preach to uh, to the converted by saying that we know what role we are playing and we are filling a gap that government cannot fill. We are filling a gap that business cannot fill. And we are actually highlighting the failures that are happening within our state. Thanks, Lutigo. Conversation. I guess in light of um, the many requests 